constant through all the years, Ray. Beyond the game. The ladies are digging my sweet bass. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You like that? You like that? That is a career render, just like this show. You're already famous in Rochester, the Watch Out World. It's a faith-based sports radio program. We would be honored if you would join us. Good morning, this is the Beyond the Game program, recorded in the BTG studio in Rochester, New York. We're glad to have you along. I'm Rick Benson. Joining me is the program's producer, Zach Barletta. Keep up with what's important to us via Twitter or any other social media platform, for that matter. Our handle is at BTG program, or stop by our website, btgprogram.com. You can find information about the program, about the show's hosts, and even admire Zach's manly beard all right there at the website, btgprogram.com. Good to hear that Kyle Schwarber has rejoined the Chicago Cubs. Just an 11-game stint since being sent down to AAA, the Cubs said that they really didn't want to see him down there for very long. And I think you and I, being baseball fans, Zach, if the Cubs are going to have a realistic shot at the postseason, they need that guy, and they needed to send him down and get him right. Absolutely. I don't know if they'd want to put him back in the leadoff spot again this time, but he absolutely crushed the ball when he was down there, so hopefully he can uh, be a little spark in that lineup for them. Yeah, you're right. He did crush it. Prior to being demoted, he was hitting just 171, 12 homers, 64 games. They sent him down so he could work on a few things and be a little bit more well-rounded of a hitter, not just an all-or-nothing home run guy, you know, a Rob Deere or a Dave Kingman. I'm dating myself by using these names, but you know who they are. I get your point. At AAA Iowa, Schwarber hit three forty three. Four home runs, nine RBI in those 11 games. He had an on-base percentage of uh, 477. Certainly the Cubs would like to see him do something more similar to that for them that he did there in, in Iowa. I give him a lot of credit. You know, he got sent down. You didn't hear complaining. He wasn't feeling sorry for himself. Uh, you know, at least I didn't hear any blaming of other people or anything like that. He didn't throw a fit. He took it, he went down, played his way right back up. Good for him. But what I was surprised by this whole thing, he's only 24 years old. He's played in just 135 regular season games. It seems like so much longer than that. It seems like he's been part of this Cubs revival process for a number of seasons. I was shocked, 135 regular season games. Even if you add in his 14 career postseason games, that's not even a full season. You remember he he came up in the middle of the season two seasons ago, hit all those home runs, hit some playoff home runs, made a big splash. And then last year he got injured like, what, two, three, four games into the season and didn't come back until the World Series. So even though we saw him last year, he missed basically the whole season. Yeah, you're right. I'm sure we've all had our seen our fair share of poor sportsmanship and kind of unfortunate that I'm segueing from Kyle Schwarber. I don't mean to suggest anything that he's a poor sportsman, but in the heat of competition, you've seen people, competitors say things, they do some foolish things, but there's just something about Wimbledon that makes <laughs> it seem so much sillier. And the poor sportsman, is, poor sportsmanship is just goofier. Yeah, we've seen the video of the minor league manager crawling around on his be- belly, 
pretending to throw grenades and yes. stuff. And I mean, we've all seen that. That's just one idiotic display. And, and yeah, while we may laugh at that, we're, we're definitely laughing at it. We're not laughing with him. And how humiliating would it be to be related to that guy and have to explain that away? How would you do that? The, um, just sorry, idiotic moment. Yeah, he had a mini stroke. We're sorry. Well, this week, Bernard Tomic, I hope I pronounced that right, was hit with a $15,000 fine from the International Tennis Federation for comments he made in the post-match press conference after his first round loss. In addition to admitting that he called for a trainer simply to disrupt his opponent's game, he also claimed that he was bored during the match probably joining many other British tennis fans in the process. <laughs> and everyone watching on television. Tomek said, I don't know why, but, you know, I felt a little bored out there. You know, to be completely honest with you. Now, you might be able to get away with that in certain places, but there's no way that's going over at Wimbledon. You know, they're all uptight and they're white anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and it's fine. It's classy. It's, you know, upper crust. But you can't say you're out there on a court being bored. But he continued, really, me being out there on the court, to be honest with you, I just couldn't find any motivation. This now, from that's the guy a problem. who lost? This is from the guy who lost, <laughs> first round loss. But you're in Wimbledon, yeah. and you can't find the motivation to win? And maybe it's just lip service. I don't know. This won't come as a surprise. But now his racket sponsor, Head Tennis, has issued a statement rebuking him for his comments, and, and they've sort of distanced themselves a bit from him since. He says he will appeal the fine, claiming that the Wimbledon officials are retaliating against him. Of course they are. You can't say that stuff, dude. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe he just shouldn't be playing tennis. Maybe he should find another job. Also getting a hefty fine and seemingly proving to be a bigger jack wagon was a fellow by the name of Daniil Medvedev. He was hit for $14,500 for throwing coins at the umpire following his second-round loss. His first round was a an upset. I think he beat the fourth or fifth seed. I forget um, who he beat, but it was a, it was a significant first-round victory. But in his second round, he lost, and now he's throwing coins at the umpire. He asked for a new umpire during the match, and obviously this was denied. But once he lost, he began taking coins out of his wallet, out of his pocket, and then throwing them at the umpire. He's apologized for his actions since, blaming, of course, the heat of the match. These, You know, at Wimbledon, you just sort of see these weird sort of poor sportsmanship protests. What What is that, throwing coins at the umpire? Well, and my question is, how much does the umpire have to do with the outcome? I'm very ignorant of tennis, so maybe it's a lot. But, I mean, it, pretty much they just have to say whether the ball hit inside or outside the line or hit on the line, right? What, what more do they have to do? Well, it's like any umpire, fair ball, foul ball. It's it's a judgment call, and most of the time they get it right. Not always. How much influence do they have on the overall outcome? Probably not a lot. A couple of calls here and there, so if it's a tight match, maybe it could be swayed, but generally the umpire doesn't have a whole lot to do with it. And they may miss a call here or there, but it's no different than in any other sport where you have a human. We were talking the other night, you and I, and I'm finally beginning to see the light a little bit of what you've been talking about for years with the technology that robotic umpires for Mm -hmm. the balls and strikes. Man, the other night I saw a game and it was horrendous. 
I was like, and you know me, I defend umpires. I, I usually mm-hmm. try to have their back, and I understand it. It's hard what they're doing, and usually they're right when they show the replay. But I'm telling you, this was terrible. This umpire was way off. So I'm beginning to see your light of coming around to that robotic umpire. Something that I've been seeing a lot this year is that drives me nuts is the 3-0 auto strike. You've got a pitcher who can't hit the strike zone and get to 3-0, and and for whatever reason, the umpire, if it's anywhere close to the plate on the fourth pitch of the at-bat, will call it a strike. And I've seen, I don't even know how many at-bats this year, already turned around where the guy's got a 3-0 count, he gets what should be ball four, starts heading to first base, it's called a strike, he gets called back and ends up flying out or grounding out or striking out when he should be standing at first base. And I'm, I'm ready to be done with it, let the computers take over. Well, you're right, and in those situations, it could, in a tight game, a guy should be on first, and now he's not. Now he's still up there, and a 3-1 count is obviously a much different situation. Does it affect the overall outcome of the game? Probably not. You know, again, maybe it does. Maybe it comes back where, man, if this guy was on base and it's followed by a double or something, that, that would have been a run. But usually that, that doesn't often happen. Anyway, speaking of class acts, Major League umpire Angel Hernandez suing his employer, claiming racial discrimination. The Cuban-born Hernandez claims he's been passed over for World Series assignments and has never been named a permanent crew chief because the league is discriminating against him and specifically because Joe Torre, MLB's chief baseball officer, doesn't like him. The suit alleges that only one non-white umpire has worked a World Series since 2011. This all, of course, despite being highly rated for his performance. When he says he's highly rated, I don't know who's doing this poll, who's doing the ratings. Is it blind people? It must be. we've talked on this show for years about how bad Angel Hernandez is. He is terrible. Since 2000, the lawsuit says there have been 23 umpires promoted to crew chief. All have been white. Hernandez says that since Torrey took the position, his performance ratings began to decline. He believes this is a result of the history that the two of them, he and Torrey, have when Torrey was a manager. Torrey's response when asked why Hernandez hasn't been promoted to crew chief was that Hernandez needs to, quote, gain greater mastery of the official playing rules and replay regulations, continue to improve situation management, and display an ability to refocus and move forward after missing calls or receiving constructive feedback from the office. The polite way of saying you need to stop involving yourself in the game. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned it already. We've talked about him. We don't talk a lot about an umpire. And as I just said, I tend to defend them. When you go back and you look at the replay, most of the time they're right. Mm -hmm. Every now and then they get one wrong. Every now and then it's in a big situation. But generally, they're right. Their job is very, very hard. But we have talked about this guy. And most of the time, it's because he's that atrocious and because he's really rather confrontational. Yes. You know, he's fairly belligerent out there. And I haven't, I've never met the man. I'm sure he's a fine human being. I have, I have no doubts. But on the field, it, it just, you get the sense that he's bitter that he's not one of the players, you know, that he's not involved in the game. And he's going to take some control of that game. He's a terrible umpire. Yeah, I don't know what his motivation is for his behavior, but he always has seemed to me, and it seems like Tori is pointing this out in so many words, that he's going to call what he's going to call. And 
even when he's wrong, he's right. You know, it's like arguing with your mom. Well, that's well said. And that was something that came up. I was trying to think as we were preparing for the show, the situation that we talked about, this is weeks, months, maybe even sometime last year. It seems to me it was a replay situation. He was so, he was wrong. It, it was obvious he was wrong, but he was never going to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that's a pride issue, I, I have no idea. But I, I don't think he deserves to be in a World Series game. I don't think he deserves to be a crew chief based on the fact that he is confrontational. You know, he is inconsistent. His strike zone is very questionable. Uh, a couple of years ago, I saw him call a, I forget who the batter was, but he called a a double on what was clearly a home run. And these situations have come up another times with him. But I'll also tell you this. There might be something to what he's saying here. I think for somebody to even bring that up, a guy like Angel Hernandez to bring that up, there's a bit of personal risk there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a little bit of he's putting himself out there. And I don't think somebody just does that if there isn't something to it. If Tory was holding a grudge and keeping the guy down, I, I, you know, I guess I wouldn't be surprised by that. It wouldn't be the first time that somebody did that to somebody else in life. It happens all the time. But, you know, to just randomly have an axe to grind by filing a lawsuit, I think there's too much personal and professional risk there for him to do that. And I, I can't know if this has anything to do with race. But there are some compelling allegations in this suit and some statistics that he points out that kind of make you go, I think you ought to look into this. He might be a, a a piece of work, but I think you ought to look into it. I think it's a serious enough allegation. I'm sure this isn't the last we've heard of it either way. I would agree with that. Coming up on today's show, Phil Jackson and the Knicks. They've agreed to part ways. Probably the best thing for all involved seems that the Zen master wasn't about to share control with the team star players. And in today's NBA, look, man, players are teaming up with other players. They're actively recruiting other players. They're part of the process of making up the roster. The players have a lot of control in the league. We'll talk about that, make a personal application to giving up control in our own lives. Plus, it's the unofficial halfway point of the baseball season. The greatest all-star game of them all will be in just a few days. Zach and I will join every other sports talk show in discussing some of the people who won't be at that game and maybe should be. We'll also look at teams we think have the best chances to make runs, maybe despite slow starts, and teams who we think are probably in trouble, even though they've been towards the top of the standings throughout the first half. And are the New York Yankees one of those teams in trouble? We'll get into that a little later in the program. We'll do some shenanigans as well, tell you what it is we like this week, all coming up today on the Beyond the Game program with Rick Benson and Zach Barletta. Let me tell you about Town & Country Pest Solutions. They've been in business for nearly three very successful decades. They have the experience to tackle any pest problem. Covering Rochester, Syracuse, Buffalo, Albany, Watertown, any place that can pick up this radio station is somewhere Town & Country Pest Solutions takes on pests and critters of all kinds. Town & Country's technicians are friendly, professional, and most importantly, they're knowledgeable. Bees, wasps, roaches, ants, bats, mice, call Town & Country. Even raccoons or larger animals, call Town & Country. 
have a bed bug problem or just want to check and make sure that you don't have a bed bug problem, call Town & Country. Early detection is key when it comes to bed bugs, so if you suspect a potential problem, call Town & Country Pest Solutions today. Town & Country's success rate and their guarantee are both well above industry average. Call Town & Country Pest Solutions today, 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. And let their team of professionals handle whatever pest problem you may have. Or visit them online, townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions, fearing nothing but God. When I have a home remodeling project, whether interior or exterior, I call McAfee's Remodeling Company. Family-owned for nearly two decades, McAfee's Remodeling Company is the name I trust. Mike McAfee put a new bathroom into my house three years ago, and I'm still getting compliments on it every time someone comes over to visit. Mike and his crew are experienced and professional, and you'll be thrilled with their work. So give McAfee's Remodeling Company a call today at 402-1070. That's 402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. Rick Benson along with Zach Barletta recording the Beyond the Game program from Rochester, New York. BTGprogram.com or at BTG program. The MLB All-Star Game is the king among professional sports all-star exhibitions. And it always will be because the game of baseball, it just lends itself so much better to this type of game than other sports. Now, obviously, I can't say that there isn't a risk of injury because there is. We don't want to see a Pete Rose, Ray Fossey situation in an exhibition game that ends up compromising some team's playoff chances. But because the other three majors, basketball, hockey, and especially football, they're more of contact sports, and in meaningless games, that contact, it has to be controlled. It has to be limited. As as a result, you end up with a poor product. Not so with baseball. If I ranked them, it would go like this. And, I, and I'm going to be interested to hear your opinion on this, Zach. Baseball's all-star game, by a long shot, oh, yeah. is the best. Hockey is a great distance behind baseball, but well ahead of basketball. And then then there'd be basketball. And then football, which is just awful, mm-hmm. way behind the top three. I might even prefer soccer, MLS's uh, all-star game, to the NFL's. And nobody cares about soccer's game. Yeah, you'll see more tackling in the soccer all-star game than the NFL. Well, you'll see more dropping anyway. (laughs) Uh, You know, forget it. We all know that the Pro Bowl, it's a travesty. In basketball, it ends up being a bit of a, it's a defenseless shooting match. Mm -hmm. People are just shooting the lights out. Looks nothing like a regular season NBA basketball game. And in hockey, I can't love enough the new format they've been using the last two years. Has it been, Zach? I believe so. It's great. And I do enjoy the skills competitions in both basketball and hockey, and, and just as I do with baseball. The The hockey format, though, has just added interest, intrigue to the All-Star game. But baseball doesn't need to do any of that. Mm-hmm. It just, it's good. It works without the gimmicks because it most closely resembles beyond the field product that you watch all year long. Yes. The only difference is it, it has the biggest names in the game, or at least it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. Now, look, I, I understand. It's it's impossible to get every deserving player onto the All-Star Game roster. You're just not going to be able – there isn't enough roster spots to be able to do that. Heck, getting everyone into the game itself is a bit of a struggle. 
there's going to be snubs. It's unavoidable. And this time of year, everybody likes to talk about who got left off. And, and But let's also remember, this game, this All-Star game is for the fans' entertainment. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole thing is, is it, it's entertainment business, but specifically this game. We want to see the very best, and, and typically we do. I think the manager's picks usually do a good job of balancing out when a fan puts somebody in a starting role that they may only be in there an inning or two, but then the right. manager's picks usually will balance that out. But I don't have a problem with that. I loved when the NHL put in John Scott when the fans picked him. I, I just thought that was fun. Yeah, that was a cool story. And it's, what made it cool is he turns around and wins the MVP. Yeah. But the fans want to see an aging vet give it one more go. I, I think that's fine. In fact, I think it's a good thing because when some of those vets get that shot, when they retire, what they'll remember, what they'll recite is, well, how many All-Star games did he play in? Mm-hmm. They're not going to remember how many he started. They're not going to care how many, you know, if the fans put him in or if he actually belonged. They're just going to recite, well, he was in seven All-Star games, so maybe he's in a Hall of Famer. On the other side of the coin, though, there are some pretty noteworthy snubs. For me, the biggest snub this year. Oh, you know what? I didn't. I said I was interested in your opinion of <laughs> not that uh, interested. I guess. I guess so. I'm just rambling here. But Definitely. talking about all star games, we agree baseball is the best. So and that's in a tier by itself, as far as I'm concerned. Agreed. I think second for me is the NHL All Star Game. Like you said, the new format is very cool. It's very fun. Um, it's like the NBA All Star Game in that it's very high scoring and not a lot of defense, but it's very high skill and it's still a fast game. Or in the NBA, it's just, you know, every few seconds somebody scores. And, and the mini tournament style of the hockey. Yeah, the round robin style. That's yeah, really that's cool. interesting. Nobody else does that. Probably the NBA would be third for me, even though I don't really watch it. Uh, I don't think I've ever watched a full NBA All-Star game. It's just not the Pro Bowl, so it comes in third because the Pro Bowl has to be the worst by far. Yeah. I, we agree a hundred percent, and I think the thing is, as we've already alluded to, baseball resembles the product that you watch all year long. The others don't. Hockey becomes more interesting because it's the tournament format, which is kind of cool. All right, I got back to that. Now let's go into the, the biggest stuff. For me, it's Alex Wood of the Dodgers. The guy's nine and zero with a one point eight three ERA. I actually think he's up to ten and zero now. I realize he hasn't been a starter for the full season, but he's been flat-out dominant. He's been little Kershaw when he's been on the mound. Unbelievable. Well, if, whether it's 9 or 10, and, and excuse me if I said 9 and it is 10, but that ERA is very low. The wins are very high. And I know in today's era, we don't place as much importance on wins as we used to. I still do. You're on the mound for 9 or 10 wins. That says something. You've got your team in position to win. So Alex Alex Wood really stands out to me as a significant snub. And I think part of that is probably because so many Dodgers made the team. Mm-hmm. And I think that might have worked against him too. You know, that if you're on the fence between him and somebody else and there's, you know, a whole bunch of Dodgers already there, you go with the other guy maybe. I could see that. Now, Zach, you dig deeper into the numbers than I ever do. So you tell me, to you, who's the biggest snub out there? I think one of the biggest ones for me is Travis Shaw of the Brewers. 
he was traded there for Boston. He was kind of an afterthought um, because in his Red Sox career, he'd never hit well away from Fenway. But he went to a, a hitter's park at Miller Park there in Milwaukee, and all he's done is just hit home runs, drive-in runs, hit for a surprisingly good batting average. And he's missed a few games here and there, but when he's been on the field, he's been terrific. And I think he's been a big part of why that Brewers team is in first place. Which they're still in first place. I thought for sure by now they'd fallen off. So, yeah, you got to give some significance to a guy like Shaw because he's kept his team in contention and, in fact, has them in first place. Well, we're talking about National League third baseman. How about the fact that Chris Bryant had to come down to the final fan vote? How is Chris Bryant not starting in the All-Star game? I mean, Nolan Arenado starting, I have no problem with that. He's a beast. But Chris Bryant not getting voted in, uh, that blew my mind. That says something to me about the fans in Chicago. You didn't do your job. Mm -hmm. You've got the reigning MVP from the World Series champion team. You're a major city. You didn't get the job done. You need to vote your guy in. You need to participate in this thing. And it shouldn't come down to the last vote. How are you, Chicago, not putting Chris Bryant in there? Yeah, the, How are like you not you said, rallying people to the ballot box like and said, saying— the reigning MVP comes down to the final vote? Are you kidding me? That's that's mm-hmm. embarrassing if you're Chicago. That makes me wonder if everyone outside of Chicago is kind of cubsed out already. You know, if, if they've heard so much about them, they're ready to hear about something else. Well, in years past, we've seen where— fan bases have manipulated the ballot boxes and got their guy in, you're Chicago. Mm-hmm. You should be able to do that. Yeah. You know, there's New York, L.A., and then there's Chicago, the midway. Get your guy in there. Absolutely. Do you have some more snubs? We, we'll talk more in shenanigans because I've seen your question about Logan Morrison. Um, I think he deserves to go. He's had a terrific season. I think so, too. I mean, he's a, he's one of the top couple of guys in baseball in home runs. I think he kind of got – he fell into the hole that a lot of players fell in during that run where the American League had all those great shortstops with Jeter and A-Rod and Garcia Parra and stuff. And he knew if you were a shortstop in the American League, you were never going to the All-Star game. And I think this year there's so many good first basemen. You know, you've got the, the typical guys at the top of the of the group, but then you have guys like – Morrison, Yonder Alonso, Justin Smoke with the Blue Jays, who are having tremendous career years and all deserve to go, but you can't take like seven first basemen to the All-Star game. Right. And and again, as we said at the very top of this discussion, there's only so many roster spots. You can't take them all. There's going to be snubs. And that's what kind of makes this conversation so interesting to see who thinks the bigger snubs are. For me, it's Alex Wood. For you, it's um, Chris Bryant. A guy like Carlos Carrasco. Yeah. How's he not going? I think that's a snub. Uh, Anthony Rendon. There's a bunch of them. But again, as you say, you can't take them all. I think uh, Justin Turner. Yeah. But in the National League is sort of the American League shortstop situation. You got a lot of good third basemen. Yeah. Well, look, we just said the reigning MVP, Chris Bryant, is in the final vote. So, you know, by those standards, how does Turner get in? It's the unofficial halfway point of the season. Some of the most of the teams are a little more than eighty-one games into the season, but now you're starting to really see teams who they are. So as you look down the standings, there's a couple of teams that have sort of fallen back to the pack that you thought, man, this team was really out there. For instance, Colorado Rockies. Mm-hmm. You're you're a big fan of the Rockies. You follow them. I know that's not your favorite team, but they've come back to the pack. 
as much expected, too. The Milwaukee Brewers, as we just got done talking about, they're in first place. Mm-hmm. And they are giving the Cubs fits every time they play them. You see that as a team that's going to fall back or no? I don't. They're scoring a lot of runs. They play in a ballpark that's conducive to scoring runs. They've had some of their starting pitchers really take a step forward this year. I think of Jimmy Nelson and Chase Anderson. Now, Chase Anderson's going to be out for a few weeks with an injury, but I think Jimmy Nelson just threw another shutout this week. They have young players that are knocking down the door to come up, uh, both on the offensive and the pitching side of the ball. And I just think that... uh, they're not going to go away. I think the, the Milwaukee Brewers finally are for real. Closer to home, the New York Yankees. Mm-hmm. And I think we probably are going to differ here because I think the Yankees are in trouble with their injuries, their pitching. I said at the beginning of the year, I didn't think they had enough pitching, and I still don't think they have enough pitching. That That's a tough call for me because I think they have pitching. I think especially of Chance Adams at AAA, who's been completely dominant, that they could call on that they don't want to, but they could. I think really what's hurt them is the fact that a lot of their most major league ready prospects have gone down with injuries. We saw Dustin Fowler just recently in the, his first major league inning get injured playing the field. We saw Glaber Torres a few weeks ago go down with Tommy John surgery. Those are two guys that really would have been nice to have contributing, especially with all the other injuries on the ball club and the general ineffectiveness of Chase Headley. And so, uh, you know, a lot of the depth that I talked about is a big reason for why I thought they'd be good. It's taken a big hit. The pitching staff, something we talked about off the air is that they've gotten to where they are without getting much of a contribution from Masahiro Tanaka. He looks like he's turning it around, which they're absolutely going to need if they're going to continue to contend. Or if, if he goes back to what he's been doing most of the year, we could see them slide down the standings. All right, as we're up against a break here, I got two questions for you. One. Do you think the Yankees can come back, or do you think they're finished? Oh, I absolutely think they can come back. I think there's too much talent here for them to just continue to play the way they've played the last couple of weeks. Second question, World Series teams. Have you have now half a season to sort of look at this? Who do you see in the World Series? Well, it's hard to pick anybody but Houston in the American League. And in the National <laughs> League, I'm going to go with the team that's scoring a lot of runs and has great pitching. That's the Washington Nationals. So I guess I'm going to have to say Houston and Washington in the World Series. Yeah, I'm going Houston and L.A., so there you have it. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back with shenanigans. You're listening to the Beyond the Game program, Rick Benson, Zach Barletta. Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College. We're proud to be a serious athletic school with great opportunities for serious athletes. In fact, we have the only Division II athletic program in the area. Our many varsity programs range from basketball, tennis, and cross country to track and field, golf, volleyball, and soccer. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. Is here. Ram Sports Network. Christian Sports Television. That's right. Christian Sports Television. Ram Sports Network is the first Christian Sports TV channel with programming from Pee Wee to the Pros. Games, events, sports talk, fitness and nutrition, sports missions, Western sports, and sports ministry. We're spreading the gospel through sports. Watch us now at RamSportsNetwork.com or find us on the Roku Channel Store. Ram Sports Network. More than a game.
Welcome back into the Beyond the Game program, mixing sports with faith. The BTG program, a big hit in California, California's favorite faith-based sports talk show, especially in the Bay Area. Go A's, go Warriors, go Giants. We say hello to those who may be listening from El Cerrito, California. Thank you for downloading the podcast this week. We hope you enjoy today's show. John and Tom Fogarty, the Fogarty brothers of Credence Clearwater Revival, growing up in El Cerrito. Current unsigned NBA free agent Drew Gooden, I believe he's still unsigned, went to El Cerrito High School, led them to the state championship game. They didn't win it, but they got to the game. Before heading over to Kansas, had his number retired there. Nice career. Early 2000s, I think he was drafted, maybe originally by Orlando, played with the Cavs, the Bucks, the Wizards, a few others. El Cerrito, California, said to have been founded by the many refugees from the 1906 San Francisco earthquake. I did not know that. Wherever you may be listening, we thank you for your support. You can subscribe to the Beyond the Game program, have it sent to your device each week. Simply search for us on iTunes or visit our website, btgprogram.com. Zach, much has already been said of the parting of ways between Phil Jackson and the New York Knicks as a fan. I'm glad of the separation, not because I thought Phil Jackson couldn't get the job done, but let's face it, as successful as he was as a player and especially as a coach, certainly wasn't translating into the front office. Yeah, I don't know if it was necessarily that he couldn't get the job done, is that he just didn't. Yeah, I and that's a good way to say it. And there may be a number of reasons. Some have said the game passed him by. As smart as he is, his whole life in basketball, I find that very hard to buy into, that the game would just pass him by. Now, if it did, you know, it's because he didn't want any part of the game. Mm-hmm. Remember when he was in Chicago, when he was in LA, he was never involved in doing the actual scouting, the recruiting that was always Jerry West in LA or Jerry Krause in Chicago. Mm-hmm. He coached the team. And that may have come back to bite him a bit with the Knicks because he never seemed to really connect with the players. He didn't relate with them. He was never on the same page in setting a team philosophy. I never got the sense that Phil Jackson wanted to be in New York. Mm-hmm. Hey, how do I know? Maybe he did, but you know, when you don't make your home there, you're only in the city part-time for work, mm-hmm. you know, you, you you just don't seem fully committed to what was going on at MSG. And but at I the same time, $12 million is a lot to turn down. So. Well, that's just it. When James Dolan comes offering you $12 million, how do you not take that job? Mm-hmm. You sort of have to. And you think, well, did you take the job for the money? And we all, look, we take jobs for money most of the time. People deserve to be paid. I'm not I'm not saying you shouldn't, but when your heart's not in it and you're only doing it for the money, well, that that's just not a good recipe. You're not going to have great success, and certainly Phil Jackson didn't. And the Knicks are, man, they're in need of a rebuild. They need some They need some help. They have for some time. They've handcuffed themselves with this Carmelo Anthony deal, trying to win a championship with him. They sacrificed their future, putting pieces around him in an attempt to win, but they didn't. That was one of the weird things about Phil Jackson's tenure with the Knicks is it seemed like he really didn't like Carmelo. He was kind of subtweeting about him on Twitter, saying things about him, didn't like him, but he also wouldn't trade him. And and in the way he handled Kristaps Porzingis, you can't passive-aggressively try to push your weight around just because you have a Twitter account. Today's players aren't aren't going to respond to that. And you're right. He seemed to go out of his way 
to antagonize or provoke or take shots at Carmelo Anthony if he's your team star. Well, you can't do that. And I think when it came to Porzingis, I thought they were going to trade him. You asked that question in shenanigans a few weeks ago, and I thought for sure they were going to trade him because I didn't think Jackson was going to. I didn't see this happening. Well, finally, the Knicks made a decision that we can agree was a good one, where they kept the young up-and-coming player over the crotchety old front office guy. I agree. You know, it seemed to me like Jackson was in a spot where he wasn't going to share the power. He was in control, and he wasn't going to share it with anybody. And in today's game, the players have a good amount of power. They're doing some of the recruiting. They're doing some of the roster building. They're dictating who they want around them, who they want to play with. And it almost seemed like Jackson was going to have none of that. You can't be butting heads with your players because you're the executive of the team. And we see this in churches all across America. Pastors are learning this very same, very difficult lesson. We're familiar with a handful of celebrity pastors, mega churches. We've heard of a few of them. But the truth is that small congregations make up the great majority of the American church landscape. Yeah. And if you're going to go into ministry to be the leader of a great church, make lots of money, be the guy in control, well, you're going into it for the wrong reasons. You should be compensated. I have no problem with that. But that ought not be your be your main goal. Ministry is generally, and again, not always. Like I said, we, we're familiar with a few celebrity pastors. Generally lousy pay, little appreciation, and lots of problems. Wherever you have people, man, you have problems. And some of those problems are people in these congregations who, who are not all that dissimilar from NBA players, professional athletes who want to be in control of the team they play on. In some churches, congregants may retain control by being manipulative, by intimidating people, by gossiping, telling stories. What they don't realize is that's a very poor brand of Christianity, if it's Christianity at all. The Bible would have believers to be humble, to be agreeable to be peaceful, fully surrendered to Christ, letting the Holy Spirit guide and lead them, ultimately accomplishing God's will in the process because they've surrendered their will. Even Jesus himself, when he was facing the cross, he was tormented by the prospect of being outside of a relationship with God the Father, even if it was only temporary. But he put his will aside following God's plans of redeeming all mankind from their sins. Luke twenty two forty two says, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Many Christians may say, God, your will be done. But is that what they really mean? What if God's will be that they go through a period of suffering? Do you really want God's will then? What if it be that you leave your dream job? Go to one of those low pay, little respect positions in ministry. Do you really want God's will? What if it simply be that God wants you to Step out a bit in faith, out of your comfort zone, sharing the gospel with somebody. Do you really want God's will? As his time on the cross was drawing near, he fervently talked to God about what was in his heart. I think we as Christians need to do that a bit more. In that moment, Jesus was not saying he didn't want to be obedient. He wasn't refusing to be obedient. What he was saying is that, man, if there's any other way this can be done, let's do that. And I mean no irreverence when I say that what lie before him was certainly troubling and heavier than what he wanted to go through, just like perhaps some of the things that have been in front of you. But he was sincere in praying that God would have his will. 
And you might be terrified. You might be standing before God saying, I am terrified by this thing, but if this is what you want, I'm willing to do it. I trust that you have me in your care, so not my will, but your will be done. Many believers still today in certain parts of the world, even even in America at times, they lose their lives because of their faith in God. You may ask, how how is that showing his care? Well, to be honest, I can't. I can't fully comprehend that. But losing my life on earth to be with him in glory in the next moment is better than anything that can be fulfilled here on earth. Check out what the Bible says happened once Jesus prayed. Verse 43, And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven strengthening him. God will give you strength, the strength you need to walk through any trial. If he will, if he's asking you to go, he will send you the strength. He was asking Jesus, sending him to the cross to die for our sins, and he gave him the strength. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. But I also want you to notice what happens next. Yeah, the angel came down, he ministered to Jesus, he strengthened him. But even so, verse 44 says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was that, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. God strengthened him, though did not change what he was asking. He asked God if there's any other way, and he got this answer, no, there isn't. You must go through this, but I will strengthen you. There are times in your life when you may be asking God for something, and the answer is no. When you surrender your life to his will instead of yours, it may seem like he's asking something which is not your first choice to do. Maybe he's asking you to go somewhere where you don't want to go, but he will strengthen you and he will be with you every step of the way. Really, it takes great faith to completely submit to God, and it pleases him when when we're sincere in that expression of faith. It means we're trusting him regardless of where he leads, and it's exciting because we know we're ready to see really God work in our lives, really work in our lives, when we're to that point where we're fully trusting him. No one understands better than God just how hard it is for us as humans to be yielded to his will. No one suffered more in executing the will of God the Father than God the Son. When Jesus calls us to follow him, whatever the cost, he's asking for something which he's already done himself. He wants to grow our faith to that kind of trust. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to encourage you to trust God today. Don't be a disruptive member of your team. Don't be a disruptive member of your church by insisting on your way. Look to Scripture. See what it truly means to be surrendered to God and to follow him. And if you're standing before a tough decision, battling with God because you're unsure where he's leading, step out in faith. Trust him by going for it. If you don't know God, if you don't have a relationship with him, you can. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That's why he endured that. That's why God wouldn't change the course, because he loved you enough to see it through. It was for you that he died. You are that reason. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Regardless of what you've done, God is ready to forgive you of your sins. Jesus has already paid the debt of them, and a broken relationship with God due to sin can be restored with repentance, saying, I'm sorry, 
asking forgiveness, and making changes in your life. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness of sins is found at the cross in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. If you've not come to a place in your life where you've considered your sins, what they mean for what happens to you after you die, I hope you do that today. Don't wait. There might not be other chances. This might be it. And this is the difference between eternity in heaven and eternity in hell. Who's going to be in control? Is it going to be you or God? A place in heaven comes only with the forgiveness of sins, and it's available to all those who would ask. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. I want to thank you for being with us. If you can help in any way, if we can help you, just reach out to us through our website, through Facebook, through Twitter, even through our studio line. I'm Rick Benson. He's Zach Barletta. This is the Beyond the Game program. Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College, where athletics are fundamental to our commitment to educate for character. Our athletic program is strong and getting stronger every year. We offer 17 varsity sports, from lacrosse and basketball to track and field and soccer, and the only Division II athletic program in the area. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. You're listening to Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Beyond the Game is listener-supported. You can help by making a one-time gift or perhaps even committing to a monthly pledge amount. And if you own a business, consider advertising during the Beyond the Game program and promote your business to large audiences of both sports fans and people of faith. Please join us as we seek to encourage, equip, and evangelize through Sports Talk Radio. Visit our website at btgprogram.com for more information or make a donation via PayPal Secure Servers. Beyond the Game thanks you for both your financial and prayerful support. Benson and Barletta taking you through the hour, finishing out the hour really here on the Beyond the Game program with our shenanigans statements. All right, Zach, take us away with your shenanigans. All right, getting upset at an opponent for admiring his home run, like the Mets did about Yasiel Puig last month, is the dumbest unwritten rule tradition in sports. I agree. I I agree that it's it's sort of goofy to get upset about it, though I understand why someone does. The hitter, the hitter got you. That's all. He he teed off on you. He got you. But hitters don't like it when a pitcher gets too animated after a strikeout. It's really the same thing. The fact is, when you're competing and all your emotions are fully invested in the game, showing someone up like that, it leads to bad things. It leads to confrontations. It leads to fights. As a result, we have this imaginary, this completely arbitrary line, which is so easily crossed because nobody knows where the line is. Mm -hmm. Bat flips are going to incite a pitcher who just gave up a big hit. Admiring a home run too long is going to incite a pitcher. But how long is too long? Yeah, the whole thing is kind of dopey, but I do get it. I agree. 
here's the thing. If you don't want the guy to celebrate his home run, don't give up a home run. You know, it's that simple. Make a better pitch. The hitter won this battle. Put your head down. Get the next guy. I think getting upset at somebody for celebrating their success is stupid. I agree, but it's one of those things where it's easier said than done. When you're on the field of competition, you have moments of success, moments of failure. Every play on a football field, one play you're successful, the next play the blocker blows right through you and gets your quarterback. So when they celebrate like that, your emotions are going back and forth. You know, I don't mind. I agree with you, but that's so much easier said than done. I I think there has to be a little bit of unwritten rule, a little self-policing where – you know what? Yeah, I'm admiring my home run, but I don't I don't want to show this guy up either. Mm. You know, I know he's pretty invested in what just happened here and I just took him out. I think there is a balance there. Truth or shenanigans, you believe the claims that a juiced ball is responsible for the huge jump in home runs over the last year. I don't do you think so? I don't know if it's so much a juiced ball as it is that from what I'm hearing it seems like the seams are a little shorter. And I've seen people say that the seams being a little shorter, the ball may be a little tighter, is responsible for not just the rise in home runs, but the reason all these pitchers are suddenly getting blisters as well. This is why I love you most, Scarecrow. Why <laughs> Why do you know this stuff? I'm very, this, I'm very interested in why these things happen. You dig into this stuff deeper than anybody. I'm simply saying shenanigans. I, I wouldn't be surprised to find out the balls are juiced, that they are livelier. But I, I tend to think things go in cycles. Mm-hmm. I have no idea about the seam sizes, the depth of the seams, or any of that. Right now, the game has more power hitting than it does solid pitching. I mean, think about it. how many real aces of staffs are out there. Not enough. True That's aces. Sure. Exactly right. But there's a ton of power hitting out there. And guys are huge. Guys like Aaron Judge, these guys are huge. No, I, I don't think it is. But I wouldn't be surprised to find out that it were. I also don't think it's a coincidence that we're in the middle of this stat cast revolution where everybody is focused on launch angle exit velocity. We've talked about it on the show. Hitters are using physics to help them hit more fly balls and hit more home runs. I don't think that can be overlooked either. Oh, yeah. The nerds like you are really <laughs> teaching and teaching the science of hitting. They get done with an at-bat. They're going in the tunnel and looking it on video. There's so much technology involved in analyzing every part of a swing that minor leaguers are well-prepared the day they take their debut. Look at the guys that we've had just for the Yankees in the past week that had their debut. Andahar, Frazier, the first game out, Andahar went, what, three for four? Frazier had a double and a home run. They're well-prepared. Now, sustaining that is a different thing, but the science is there, the technology is there. These guys are well prepared. I, again, I think pitchers catch up, and then they're going to be ahead for a while. I, mm-hmm. It goes in cycles. While we're talking about home runs, this year's home run derby is more exciting than the actual All-Star game itself. I say shenanigans. I, I mean, maybe from Yankees fans or Marlins fans it is because they have multiple players, but, you know— Certainly having Aaron Judge is an attraction because of how hard he hits the stinking ball Mm -hmm. and how far they go. Same thing with Giancarlo Stanton. But the Major League Baseball All-Star game, as we said earlier in the program, is the best All-Star game in all of sports. Absolutely. 
The game just lends itself better. This is exciting. This is good baseball. I agree that the Derby will be fun. It'll be exciting, but I don't think more so than the game itself. I don't know. I'm torn on this one. I, I, I might have to say that I agree that it is more exciting just because I love so many of the players that are in this Derby. It's, it's, it's going to be a fantastic Derby. Guys like Aaron Judge, guys like Cody Bellinger from the Dodgers representing the National League, Giancarlo Stanton, the reigning champion. You know, I think it's going to be a ton of fun, and like we've said, there have been some snubs in the All-Star game. The Derby might be better this year. The only thing I don't like about it is it seems so orchestrated. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when the players are on the field and they're not the ones batting, but they're the other All-Stars are there, they're watching, they're taking in the event, and somebody hits a ball— and they all act like they've never seen that ball hit like that before. Right. Meanwhile, they see it every day in batting practice. Right. And half the pitchers that are there have given up home runs to these guys. They've and seen it many times. They're so animated. Oh, my goodness, never saw that. And they, their mouths are wide open. Their hands are on their head. And they're doing all these things. And you're just going, come on, man. You see this every day. Yeah. So stop. So some of that just seems a little bit forced to me. But I... The event will be a great event. I do think it'll be a event. I just, you know, I, I like the game itself more. And speaking of the home run derby, Tampa Bay's Logan Morrison caused a stir this week when he said that Yankees catcher Gary Sanchez doesn't belong in the home run derby because Sanchez only had hit 14 home runs compared to Morrison's 24. Truth or shenanigans, a player should be among the league leaders in homers to compete in the derby. You are a sad, strange little man, and you have my pity. <laughs> Only Logan Morrison isn't a little man by any stretch. He's a pretty big dude. Yeah, I, I say shenanigans. Sanchez missed a whole month, didn't he? Wasn't he gone a he month? Did, yeah. Since being called up late last season, the guy's hitting home runs at a very impressive pace. You know, obviously Morrison's a little bitter, and great, you're having a terrific year, and maybe you have some reason to be, but this is not the norm for you. This is a little unusual right. for you, so mm-hmm. to pick you. And let's face it, the All-Star Game is always a little bit more than just that season's first half. Right. What happened last year at the end of the season for Gary Sanchez once he got called up is obviously weighed into the decision to take him. He hits home runs at a pretty strong pace. Uh, I think he deserves to be there. I wouldn't have any problem if, if they picked Morrison either. Over, right. I, w- I wouldn't complain about it. I just think this is a little bit of sour grapes. And the way I look at it is if you looked at who do the the fans who are buying the tickets, who do they want to see? Are they going to get more excited to see Logan Morrison? Are they going to get more excited to see Gary Sanchez? Now, I'm obviously partial because I'm a Yankee fan and I love Gary Sanchez and I think he's a national treasure. But <laughs> race fans won't even buy tickets to their own games to see Logan Morrison. They're not going to buy home run derby tickets to see Logan Morrison. Sanchez is who the people want to see. And it, I'm sure the fact that it's New York and Tampa, mm-hmm. it does weigh into that. And there's certainly no doubt about that. Last but not least, a little football. The Minnesota Vikings say they believe wide receiver Michael Floyd's claims that he failed his blood alcohol test because he'd been drinking kombucha tea. Truth or shenanigans, you believe him too. Shenanigans. And I walk this fine line of saying, I don't believe him. But I leave the door open just a bit to acknowledge, well, I guess it's possible, but I doubt it. Listen, we've been tainted by so many athletes, so many celebrities, even people in everyday walks of life who look you straight in the eye, straight into the camera, and then they lie 
with, with just bold-faced lie with a straight face. Mm-hmm. They, they continue the lie even when every shred of evidence is stacked against them. As a professional, if this is your career and what you do to earn a living, isn't some, someone saying to you, hey, man, maybe you shouldn't be drinking that? Shouldn't somebody be mm-hmm. – shouldn't you be tipped off that this is maybe a potential problem to be taking this in? I just not I, – I don't believe it, but maybe. Who knows? Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, we've heard so many of these excuses over the years that nobody really buys any of them. Uh, I know nothing about kombucha or kombucha, however you say it, other than I know that it's gross and my dad drinks it. <laughs> and I can't imagine – a, that drinking this tea would cause your blood alcohol level to spike. And B, how much of it would he have had to have been drinking to spike his blood alcohol that much? I'm no scientist. I know nothing about it. But it seems fishy to me, so I don't believe it. Deuteronomy 16.17 says, Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord thy God which he hath given thee. In a video being circulated this week, Fun-loving New York Yankee shortstop Didi Gregorius is seen in the New York City subway standing near the token gates, not only handling out, handing out vi- advice to the passengers, but he's also using his own subway card to pay the fare for those passengers. I mean, how do you not like Sir Didi? This guy, he's smiling most of the time. He looks like he's having fun playing the game. In the video that I saw... It didn't, I didn't get the impression that the passengers even knew who he was. And here he is, just paying their way, standing there, paying their tokens. Nobody asked for an autograph or anything. Didi Gregorius' small gesture to others is what I like this week. What I like this week was the Buffalo recreational hockey players who decided to raise a million dollars for cancer research by breaking the Guinness World Record for the longest hockey game. They were trying to raise money for the Buffalo's Roswell Park Cancer Institute, so they embarked on a round-the-clock mission to play the longest hockey game in history. They did it. They played over 10 days, 10 hours, 3 minutes, and 21 seconds. They broke their goal of a million dollars before the puck even dropped. They ended up raising over $1.179 million for cancer research. So the longest hockey game in history is what I liked this week. You like that? You like that? I like that, too. Hats off to you guys. Incredible job. Way to go. That's that's a great story. This has been the Beyond the Game program. Please consider partnering with our ministry, sharing the gospel through Sports Talk Radio. The Beyond the Game program is currently sending monthly support to a number of missionaries. Your contributions help us continue doing that, as well as bringing this program into new markets where it can be aired. Visit our website for more information, btgprogram.com. And as I can I just say this, we could really use your support. And be sure to check out the Myth and Mysteries program. If you enjoy curious stories, weird myths, unsolved mysteries, man, this podcast is for you. And by the way, this is good stuff. I'm not saying it just because the brother's sitting across the studio from me. Zach Barletta does this thing with his brother. It is terrific. Myth and Mysteries. It's available on iTunes. It's available on Google Play. Visit their website, mythandmysteriespod.com. For Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week right here at this same time. Be bold and be great this week, everybody. 